the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Pilgrim's Progress. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight, and he says, Friend, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. Literally in the Greek, stop it. Don't bother me. But this man, in his persistence, wakes the whole neighborhood. He is shameless as he asks for three loaves of bread. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness. That's the NIV, literally. Shameless persistence. Because of his shameless persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For for everyone who asks, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers If your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Shamelessly asking for bread, knocking on the door, asking, begging, persistent, shameless. And then Jesus says, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. How shamelessly are you concerned about your soul's salvation. If you're not concerned about your soul's salvation, if you are not shamelessly concerned about your soul's salvation, it's because your soul does not feel the need of being saved. I am desperately and shamelessly concerned about my eternal salvation. I cannot walk around saying, I'm saved. Because then I have to ask, what am I saved from and what am I saved to? 
I know in this modern age, the devil has blown gently on our lives in order to cool our love for Jesus and in order to confuse us and cause us to not even be concerned about our salvation. We have believed the lie that we are saved in the midst of our sin, that we're on our way to heaven, but we're not. I have asked some people, are you sure you're saved? And one dear woman exploded in anger at me. I am not going to answer that question, Pastor. Don't ask me again if I'm saved or not. I know I'm saved. I'm a mature Christian. And I'm, and oh, she exploded. Isn't it interesting that her behavior and her words were so absolutely contrary one to the other? While claiming to be a mature Christian, she exploded in anger and bitterness against me. How dare you ask me the question, am I saved? Demonstrating that she was utterly lost. I'm very concerned. I'm desperately concerned. I am shamelessly concerned about my salvation and about your salvation. And if you don't share with me in that deep, heartbroken concern, shameless concern about your salvation, it's because you don't feel the need to be saved. It's an intellectual agreement you have with your religion but it's not with Jesus I've heard so many people in my life so shamelessly say I'm saved I'm on my way to heaven praise God I'm okay with Jesus he's my best friend I spoke with a a college student, a young woman. I asked her, are you saved? Are you a Christ follower? Oh, yes, absolutely I'm saved. My mother is very religious. She makes certain that I'm in church. My father, not so much. But my mother, she's earnest. I said, are you earnest? Oh, yes, pastor. A few weeks later, I happened to see her again. And she said, pastor, my birthday is on May 1. I said, Congratulations. How old will you be? She said, I'll be 21, Pastor. I said, what's so great about being 21? She said, because at 21, I can buy my own alcohol. I said, what are you going to do on your birthday? She said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to buy for the first time with my driver's license the alcohol that I love. 
and I am going to go with friends, and I'm going to get drunk. I said to her, I thought you said you were a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian? Pastor, there's nothing wrong with getting drunk. I said, oh, you don't know Jesus yet. You're saved in the church, but you're not saved in Jesus. Oh, I'm a Roman Catholic, and I go to confession. Oh, really? My heart trembled for her. And I find myself praying even now for this young woman. I've met so many people who say, I'm saved. But their behavior demonstrates, their attitude, their words demonstrate that they are not saved, that they are utterly lost. Oh, they're very much into church, perhaps. They have that down pat. And they give time and energy to the church and they pay their tithe. But the love of their life is the NASCAR. Or the love of their life are the professional sports. Or the love of their life is collecting some foolish thing. Or gourmet cooking or some other lust of their heart that consumes them. I understand that. I could easily be consumed with outdoor sports, with kayaking and sailing and biking. I love all those things. But God has brought me into a place of grave concern Now, I've had this periodically in my life, and I've been told so many times, Pastor, stop, relax, you're saved, believe it, stand by faith. Oh, I do, I stand by faith. But I also know what Jesus had to say. Let me read it for you. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. the 7th chapter of Matthew. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Can I point something out? You have to know where the door is. Jesus is the door. You have to be positioned properly with Jesus to be able to knock. You have to be positioned with Jesus. And I recognize in my life, I'm still not feeling good about where I'm positioned with Jesus. That's why I've been talking about pride, because that blocks our way to the door. That's why I've been so vulnerable with you this week about the deep concern of my heart for both myself and for you. 
Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, that is, enter through the suffering gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But agonizing is the gate, and suffering the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus says, everybody's not going to be saved. Now, I know. If I go by what my culture teaches me and by what the religion of the day teaches me, I should just relax. Jesus, they say, forgave all of my past, present, and future sins. And so now, as one national pastor said just go and have a good time you're saved nothing you can do will cause you to lose your salvation you may do some things that aren't quite right and you'll lose some fellowship but you can't lose your salvation he's lying only a few are going to find this narrow gate that you must suffer to enter through and you must groan because it's so narrow, so small, you're going to have to groan to go through it. There's going to have to be a deep, passionate desire in your heart to enter into that narrow gate, or you will not be saved. Most in the church today are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven because they've rejected the narrow gate. They bought the lie of the Broadway path. That's why I come concerned today. And I'm going to show you other passages. I have so many to show you today. I'm desperately concerned. Watch out for false prophets. The false prophets are the ones who come and tell you things that it's an easy path. And everybody can enter it. Everybody can be saved. Just just go right along and know that you're saved and stand and believe you're saved and you're saved. No, you're not. Are you kidding me? It's not a personal relationship with Jesus that gives us entrance into heaven. It's doing the will of the Father. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Verses 21 to 27. Let me read it for you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying only those who do the will of the Father can enter into heaven. It's doing his will that opens the door for us, that positions us where we can knock appropriately on that door. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, 
did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? He's talking here about those who claim to be prophets, those who claim to be healers, those who give a constant stream of positive messages encouraging you to just relax and trust Jesus and everything will be fine. No, it won't be. They're lying to you. And these very people who've been making their prophecies and and saying, I'm a prophet of God, you better respect me. The very people who've been saying, look, I'm a miracle worker, I'm a healer. The very ones who say, I drive out demons, that is, these are the leadership people. Can I say it? In the charismatic movement. These are the leaders in the Pentecostals. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to go into heaven. I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. He's saying, look, even the leaders are not going to come in. The ones convincing you that you're saved are not going to be saved. They're going to be lost. Those who do not confront you with your sin, those who speak pleasant words to you, those who, they're not going to enter heaven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. From the outside, they look very similar. From the inside, they look very different. Now I want to look with you at several passages of Scripture. These are very troubling to me. And I've spent a great deal of time and prayer and tears over these passages. Mark, the 11th chapter. going to begin reading with verse 17. Mark eleven seventeen. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, 
and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now I took this prayer, this saying, this truth to the prayer closet, and I cried out for the Lord to answer my prayer for a year. And what this passage of Scripture did to me was force me into a place of desperation, a place of shameless desperation, where I took the Psalms and I prayed them aloud and I cried out to God because I had such a great need And after just over a year of prayer, where my prayer time had grown from one hour, five, six, seven, eight hours a day, the Lord answered my prayer. I was finally positioned in a place where I could knock on the door and be heard. Now let me read another passage for you. I want to read a passage of scripture in in John. This is John 14 verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Is your experience that you can go in your prayer closet and ask God for anything and he will do it? I want to read another passage of scripture for you. It's found in 1 John, the 5th chapter. I'll begin with verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Do you notice again, it's a positioning. It's a positioning. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, we have to be positioned in his will. Now, I I hope that these things that I'm saying to you will trouble your heart. When the great move of God took place in Azusa, California, in L.A. There was a great atmosphere throughout our nation in 1910 
of seeking earnestly for the Lord Jesus. Small groups were meeting all over the country praying for a revival in America. We knew as Americans at that point that we were in trouble. And there arose a great cry. The holiness movement really was birthed out of this great cry that was taking place in America to be righteous, to be holy, to find Jesus. What this dear and wonderful brother William Seymour did was believe that if he went before the Lord and cried out to him, he would send the Holy Spirit with the signs of tongue speaking. Now, what did William Seymour believe? He believed that he was saved by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. He believed that he was made righteous by faith. He believed that he was not committing any known sin. The whole basis of the Wesleyan movement and then the holiness movement was a total abandonment to God, a total giving over of self, surrendering everything in reality to Jesus, giving oneself without reservation without reservation, totally, to Jesus. And that's when Jesus came in that hyper-hot atmosphere of prayer, of people saying, I don't have enough of Jesus, laying aside everything else. William Seymour came to pastor a church in L.A. after one sermon, They locked him out of the church. And now he had no money. He had no employment. What should he do? He had no credit cards. He had no sponsors. He prayed. And other people came and joined together with him. And they too prayed. There were many poor. We're going to see that. We're seeing it just beginning, but we're going to see a great, a great number of desperately poor people in America who are not going to get three square meals a day. They're going to be lucky. They're going to be blessed if they have one meal a day. Out of that arose a great cry for God and for holiness and for righteousness. And out of that desperate hunger for God as they prayed day after day, night after night. I mean, do you realize if I were to invite people to come and pray every night of the week, barely anyone would come. Why? We're too busy making money, living our lives. That's why God has us on lockdown. He's locked the church down. But from all appearances, 
we're making it through without crying out to God. And so he's going to have to take all of our money. He's going to have to crash the economy of America. And at some point, he's going to do that. Because the only way he can get at the heart of America is to take our money. That's a shameful thing to have to say. Let me read for you Philippians, the third chapter. Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. What have you lost, brother? What have you lost, sister, for Jesus Christ? I consider what I've lost as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. I've lost job opportunities. I've lost career opportunities. I've lost thousands and thousands of dollars. I've lost friendships. I've lost family members. I have paid such a price to follow Jesus and be able to be here and speak to you this way. I'm not speaking out of intellect. I'm speaking out of out of what's happened in my life. I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. There's no imputed righteousness. It's truly imparted. It's real. He gives to us true righteousness. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Well, Paul, don't you already know Christ? Well, yes, but not enough. I want more. I want the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Oh, brother, sister, do you want to attain to the resurrection from the dead? Then you're going to have to count as garbage everything that you've gained in your life, and you're going to have to be shameless persistent, earnest in searching after Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul. He does not think he has attained yet. He is still journeying toward Jesus. Verse 12, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. That is, he hasn't yet been put to death. He's using this passage the same as Jesus used it in Luke, where he said he had not yet been perfected, meaning he had not yet died. You see, perfect is used in several ways in Scripture. The most common is speaking about morality, not about exactness. 
speaking about holiness. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I can tell you right now, if you love Jesus, it's because he's taken a hold of you. But because he's taken a hold of you does not mean you're saved. It means he's trying to position you before the door where you can knock and you can be heard and your prayer can be answered. And it's going to take, he says, shameless persistence. Annoying persistence. It's not going to be easy. Very few will enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Brother, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God has called you, brother. God has called you, sister. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Verse 15. Verse 18. For as often told you before, now say even with tears, with wailing, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That is, many who are in the church live as enemies of the cross of Christ Jesus. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This passage of Scripture is so powerful. It says... Don't think yet that you have attained. Don't boldly proclaim, I'm saved. For you're still not in the heavenlies. You're still on probation on the earth. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 14. The question was asked of Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, according to the modern teaching, you would expect Jesus to say, oh, many, many millions are going to be saved. All of you are going to enter into the kingdom of God. Just believe what I'm saying and you're in. You don't have to leave all your sins. You're in. Just consider it done. He didn't say that. He said, agonize to enter through the suffering gate because many, I tell you, will try to enter 
and will not be able to. Many are going to call themselves Christians, but they are not going to be able to enter the kingdom of God. They're not going to enter the gate of heaven. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. A friend of mine that I sat and prayed with yesterday said, Pastor, you've had a blind spot in your life. Shall I tell you? I said, absolutely, please tell me. He said, you think you've had this special deal with God. And you're just going to listen to him. And you're not going to listen to the counsel of the brethren. And I had to reply, I was so hurt by the brethren so many times to confess I gave up on them. And you're right. And I've made very serious mistakes in my life because of the pride that would not allow me to listen to a brother or a sister because I said, I hear from God. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do. And of course, I'm right. I should do what the Lord tells me to do. But it should be checked with the brethren and sisters. I'm not the have all and be all. I'm not the fount of wisdom. Are you kidding me? I'm nobody. I need my brothers and my sisters to pray with me and to counsel with me and to talk with me. And I find that I'm not the only one with that problem. I find that many, in the pride of their heart, say, I know what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it no matter what you think. And I've seen train wreck after train wreck with people who take that posture. He says there will be weeping there, gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out, People will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, those who are last will be first, and the first who will be last. I am desperately concerned about my salvation, and I am desperately concerned about your salvation. We have fooled ourselves in America with our casual religion, our comfortable churches. This young woman I referred to a moment ago 
finishing college, and I said to her, what are you going to do with your life? She said, I have no idea. I have no idea. Mom and dad have helped her go through college. She's had beautiful clothes and every opportunity offered to her. She's never suffered. She's never lacked. She's had everything she wanted to eat, everything she wanted to wear, everything she wanted to go. Life has been handed to her on a silver platter. So she has no toughness, and her her goal for her birthday was to get drunk. What a picture of the American church. We're driven to pray when we face such severe circumstances that if we don't pray, we'll die. And some of you, you're faced with that circumstance and all you would say is whatever God wants is fine with me. That's like Eli. God brings judgments. God speaks through Samuel and through another prophet and said, I'm going to bring judgment on you because you will not rebuke your sons. I'm going to put your sons to death. And all Eli could say is, the Lord is good. Whatever he wants is okay with me. And so he ends up dying by breaking his neck, falling off the chair. He's fat. He tips over backwards when he hears the ark has been taken. And Shiloh is emptied. They no longer meet at the place of meeting. And for the next 20 years or so, there is no sanctuary and no ark and no services being held. King Saul comes as king. It's not until David comes that he brings the ark, sets up a tent of meeting, begins to praise God, begins the worship. What's going to happen to you? I can tell you that if you are not concerned about your salvation, you have been utterly deceived by the modern church. You are the epitome of what is called Laodicea. Lukewarm, making God sick to his stomach. It's time to repent. It's time to be shamelessly concerned about not just your salvation, but your family's salvation, your brothers, your sisters, the church, the American church. I am desperately concerned about all of us for we have lived in a place where the devil could come and blow gently upon our lives and cool us down and steal the hot fervor for Jesus from our hearts and our lives. Many of you have never won a person to Jesus Christ, not truly won them. You've not suffered for Jesus. You've suffered because of the world. You've suffered because of bad choices you've made. But have you suffered for Jesus Christ? Have you lost anything for Jesus? I 
Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenland. I'm not comfortable with the message I've given you today or yesterday or this week. But I was compelled by the Spirit to say it. I am desperately concerned for you. I want you to be saved. I want you to truly not with false beliefs. I want you to truly search after Jesus and cry out to him to pray. Tomorrow, we're going to use the entire time on the air to pray. I ask, would you please call and pray with me? Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for the church. Some of you want very much to pray for the president and for the the cabinet and the and all of that's very important but oh believe me it's much more important that we pray for the church we pray for revival well you've been listening to pilgrim's progress i'm pastor ray please if you want these messages to continue i need to hear from you it's a faith ministry write to me at the national prayer chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank you to the many who have been contributing. We're still a long way from where we need to be to get the radio covered for this month. You can go online. You can give online by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also listen to this broadcast again this evening. The video will be up and the podcast will be there. Nationalprayerchapel.com God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I love you, so I give this kind of message. I want to be a faithful shepherd before Jesus. I don't want to play games. It's too serious. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you.